Um, <coughs> I'm guessing most people in the room have not seen any work by Eugene Green before because none of it has been distributed in this country before. Would I be right? Would that be right? So maybe Eugene, if you could just sort of introduce yourself and talk a little bit about <laughs> your sort of career today, that might be the best way to start off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not an easy way to yeah. start off. Uh, well, I, I um, so uh, Le Monde Vivant was my second feature. Uh, it was actually um, it was waiting to try to get an, uh, an, a second feature. It was it was uh, planned or was presented as a what in France is called a moyen métrage, a long short, I think you call it. Mm -hmm. uh, it was supposed to be 55 minutes or something like that. And so actually we had a budget of a, for a short. Uh, so it, it's my film which was done with the least, uh, with the smallest budget. Uh, but uh, before, so I had, um, well, I, I did uh, theatre work for a very long time when I, uh, I I came to France at the end of the 1960s and I did my university studies there. And then I created a theatre company called uh, Le Théâtre de la Sapience. And um, actually I, I, I wrote plays, I tried to, um, but one of the things which I did, it was a sort of means to an end, it had its own value also, but it was what became most known uh, with our theatre work was a work on Baroque theatre. That is, uh, I tried to do, um, no one else had tried that before, <clears throat> I tried to do for the theatre the same thing that was done uh, for um, early music, that is to, to find uh, the, the spirit and the style in which it was done when it was contemporary theatre, <clears throat> in a way to make it actually more lively and more modern for contemporary audiences. It seems paradoxical, but for the music it worked very well, and I was convinced that the same thing could be done for the theatre. So I did a lot of research on, on technical aspects of French Baroque theatre, a little bit also about Shakespeare, and. Uh, and uh, but also because I want I didn't want it to be some, some simply a, a, a superficial thing a sort of just a, a, a gadget so I did a lot of research also on all of Baroque civilization it's also something which interested me personally and uh, we try doing uh, um, shows uh, uh, productions of uh, Baroque uh, plays and uh, it was it was very um, there was a great deal of resistance to it uh, in official circles not not on the basis of seeing it they didn't have to see it they they knew that it was morally uh, bad uh, simply uh, hearing from what it was <clears throat> and so uh, i did that up until the uh, up until 1999 that was the last uh, baroque uh, play that i directed it was a, a play of racine and I acted also, I acted at that time. And then it happened, I always wanted to do cinema, um, but I never quite knew how to, to get there. Uh, because when, in the 1970s, when I was a student, I thought of, um, of presenting the uh, competition for the National Film School, which at the time was called the IDEC, now it's the FEMIS. Uh, but uh, I, I was just doing too many things. In any case, it wouldn't have worked because it was very political at the time and I was, I was a little bit out of that. So, uh, but then in the 1990s, uh, 
I suddenly decided I had a, I always have I've always written uh, I'm also a writer <coughs> and I had an idea to make a modern novel which would be very vaguely inspired by an early work of Flaubert uh, which was only published in the 20th century uh, which is called in France uh, La Première Éducation Sentimentale but it has nothing to do with uh, L'Éducation Sentimentale the great novel of, of Flaubert and then suddenly I decided that it had to be a film and so um, it was very strange because I had never been to film school and I had never worked on a shoot and I had no technical training in cinema. But I had, uh, I had seen a lot of films and I had had the time to think a lot about uh, what I wanted to do and what was specific in cinema. And so I, I started writing the script um, and by a sort of miracle, uh, when I presented it to the CNC, which is the national, it's the equivalent of the, the Film Council here, uh, it was the only time which very easily I, I got the, um, the subsidy called the, the Avancion Set. And so uh, I, may, I was able to make my first film, Toutes les Nuits, which preceded uh, Le Monde Vivant. And then I wrote the script for another film, Le Pont des Arts, but we couldn't seem to get, uh, with my producer, we couldn't seem to get any funding for it. And so I had the idea of writing a, a long short, and it was Le Monde Vivant, uh, which became a short, long, <laughs> a short feature uh, because it, it lasts 75 minutes. And according to the official, uh, the official uh, classifications, up until 59 minutes, it's, from 31 minutes, it's a long short before it's a short, then it's, it's a long short, and uh, from 61 minutes, it's a feature, so it's, it's a short feature. And uh, voila, <laughs> if you ask me questions, sometimes I speak very, uh, very long time, so... <laughs> <laughs> But that was that was a very uh, heavy question. Yes, I'm sorry to start with that one. So, so what were the sources of inspiration for Le Monde Vivant? Uh, well, I've always been attracted to, um, in a certain way, one of the reasons uh, I, I've uh, now I've, I've finally realized uh, that I'm I appear to most people as someone somewhat strange. Uh, it doesn't, it's not obvious to me, but I, I see from the way people react. And one of the, the aspects of the strangeness is that um, I tend to have a mythical thought, which was uh, characteristic of Western civil civilization up until the end of the 17th century. That is, uh, to, to think in terms of fiction, of stories, which have by this simple unfolding uh, express a truth. So I've always been attracted to things like that, like uh, uh, stories, fairy tales, and also, um, uh, how, how do you say, uh, roman de chevalerie. Uh, Knight's Tales. Knight's Tales, Knight's Tales. Uh, and so one of my favorite authors in French is Chrétien de Troyes who is sometimes, sometimes considered the first French novelist because he wrote, um, in English, the words are different. You say ro a romance uh, or a novel, but in, in French, it's the same word, uh, roman. And so he wrote the first things that we call uh, roman in French. Uh, they're in verse, uh, but they're, they're stories, uh, a little like some of Chaucer's stories, like The Knight's Tale, for example. Um, 
and uh, so I had, I had it just happened that uh, before uh, writing the summer before writing the script for Le Monde Vivant, I had reread one of uh, Christian de Troyes' um, uh, novels, if you call, can call or ro romances, uh, called uh, Ivan ou le chevalier le chevalier au lion, uh, the, the Ivan, it's the character, or the the lion knight. And it's not at all the story of, uh, of Le Monde Vivant. The only thing that comes from it is the idea of a, uh, a knight who has a lion who accompanies him. And uh, I don't know, I just, uh, when um, a little before Christmas, Tutlin, we had come out the, in, in, it was it shot in 1999, but it, only, it was only released in France in 2001 because we had a lot of difficulty. It was considered a very strange film, and the producer wasn't a real producer, which didn't help things any. Uh, and uh, so finally it came out in March 2001, but it was a sort of miracle. Uh, all the critics became very enthusiastic about it in France. And so uh, uh, there were a lot of good things that happened that year, and just before, at the beginning of December, Toutes les Nuits um, won a prize, uh, the, the uh, Prix de Luc uh, du Premier Film. The Prix de Luc is a very prestigious uh, uh, prize in France. And f several years before, they created a second Prix de Luc for only for first films. And so I, I, for Toute les Nuits, I had that prize. And I was very happy about all that. But I, I decided to go away from everything. And I just went away for a week uh, to Grandville in Normandy. And in a week, I wrote the, the script of Le Monde Vivant. And the elements just came to me that way. Mm. I, I, besides, uh, 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 with, the except, with the exception of uh, Ivan, uh, mm. the, the, the novel of the, the romance of Chrétien mm. de Troyes, there was no real source, so it's just, okay. it just came. Okay. And, I mean, in the film, the, the idea mm. of the word la parole in, in French has enormous importance, clearly for you, but also for the characters themselves. Could you sort of, it's a very complex, I know it's very complex, but could you try and just out outline your sort of conception of what la parole means in, in, this, in this particular film? Oh, it's going <laughs> yeah. to last a certain time. Uh, because it's, la, la parole is, for me is the most, it's the center of, of everything actually. Um, one of my existential uh, problems with it was that I was born in Barbaria. Uh, Barbaria is the, the entity in the new world between Canada and Mexico. And uh, as a child, I realized very, very young, as a very, that the most important thing for me was speech, was a language. And unfortunately for me, I was born somewhere where there's no language. So uh, one of... Um, one of the things which guided my life was a quest to find the language. It became the French language, actually. Uh, but uh, la, la parole is... Um, actually, for me, I think that cinema was born from a crisis about la parole in Western civilization. civilization. I use the French word because it's easier to explain uh, this in French because there are several words for, for uh, several aspects of what in English are all represented by the word, the word. Um, up until the end of the 17th century in, in Western civilization, uh, La Parole ha had three, uh, three levels, actually. The first one 
was what corresponds to the French word le mot, and it's the modern conception of a word that is a simple sign in a system of representation of the world that is a language which represents the, the, wor the word le mot, represents a specific aspect of the material world, the world conceived as something purely materially, uh, simple matter without spirit. Uh, but it also, so it had that value since, since language exists, of course, that permits human beings to communicate, to, to, uh, to construct a thought. But la parole also was uh, la parole as it was conceived uh, in the, up until the Baroque, uh, including the Baroque uh, uh, period. That is, it was something which was material, like a body, but which had a, a spirit, because up until the end of the Baroque uh, period, uh, la parole in literature, in any literature, literate, um, can you say enunciation? Mm. Yeah, literary enunciation, uh, it, it didn't exist in, in its written form. The written form was merely a means of conserving it. But the reality of la parole was the incarnation of the, la, la parole. That is, in order to exist really, a, a word had to be said. It had to pass through the body and the voice of a human being. And so it became something which had a physical existence. And it had also, uh, like a human being, it had um, a variety of facets which were all contained in it. For example, and it's one of the, the biggest resources of poetical writing. For example, uh, it's easier when I speak, uh, uh, well, I'll try to, um, yeah, I can, I, no, it's uh, going through English, it's, it, it will work. If I take the, the French, the simple French sound, uh, le verre, le verre, in its reality, that is the way you hear it, it can represent in English um, a matter that is glass. It can represent uh, a glass. It can represent uh, a verse in a poem. It can represent um, an earthworm, <laughs> a worm. Uh, and it can represent um, uh, a, a material you, you, which used to be used for clothing, which is actually squirrel fur. And all of those things are contained in the, the French sound, the, the French word, le verre. When it's written, it's written in different forms, of course. But the reality of the word is when I say it. And when I say it, it contains all those things. And so that means that every language with its words is a different representation of the, of the world. And it's a different image of the world. And that's the second aspect of la parole. That is, the, 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 la parole as a, as a being almost, something which must be incarnated and which is both a body and a spirit. And the third level of la parole is what in French can be uh, called le verbe. That is, la par parce que le, the word has always in Western tradition been the, the most... Um, Le lieu par excellence. How can I say that? The, 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 le lieu. Oui, le lieu par excellence. The, 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 the place. place. But the, the, the par excellence. Par, primary place. 
Uh, the primary, the primary place. Thank you very much. The primary place for the meeting between man and the sacred. It's, it's, it's. It was already. Uh, it exists in the Greek tradition, at least in uh, with Plato, with uh, the logos of Plato. It exists in the Hebrew tradition because, according to the Hebrew tradition, God created the world through His Word, and it exists in the Christian tradition because the Word is uh, the God incarnated. So um, that's the third element of la parole, <coughs> and. In all of Western civilization, uh, La Parole had those three levels. And then, at the beginning in the 18th century, a rationalist thought tried to reduce La Parole simply to le mot, that is, the word as a means of, uh, a, a simple means of communication, of representing some element mm. of a finite world. And so, uh, for the 18th century, that sufficed. In the 19th century, Artists began to long for the uh, la parole in its former sense, and so uh, certain great writers tried to restore it. For example, in in France, uh, Baudelaire in, in poetry, uh, uh, Flaubert in prose, and Mallarmé at the in poetry at the end of the 19th century. But for all those writers, their effort to to give the word its former uh, its former thickness, its former uh, po polyvalence, uh, was a, a great effort, needed a great effort, and it's, it always produced a great suffering. And so it, it was something which was going sort of towards um, a, a, a dead end. And then just at the end of the 19th century, that is uh, almost the year that Malarmé died, uh, the cinematograph was invented. And the cinematograph, for me, is the modern uh, equivalent of La Parole because it has the three levels of, of La Parole. It, its basic material, contra like a, a painter or a writer even, has to recreate the world completely from uh, ex nihilo because the painter does it with colors, the writer with words. But the cinema takes as its raw material the material reality because a, a cineast captures the material reality of a person, of a, of a wall, of a street, uh, etc. But then uh, there's the second uh, uh, level because the image, a, a cinematographical image, uh, according to the way it's, it's edited in a film, according to what precedes it and what follows it, 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 it acquires a polyvalence it's not the same image could have many different senses, uh, many different meanings and many different uh, aspects and, and, and produce many different effects according to the way it's mounted, it's edited in the film. And so it's like La Parole with a body and a soul, a body and a spirit. And then the third way, the third level is, at least for certain cineasts, perhaps not the majority, but many among the greatest, the, the, the cinematographical image is also a way of um, rendering the spiritual things present because the cineast can make you aware, showing you uh, an image of something from the material world, of a spiritual energy which you wouldn't have noticed if uh, you had seen that element in its natural context. So, it's very long, but it's mm -hmm. it's a, uh, 
it's for me it's la parole is the basis of cinematographical art not because you hear words in the film but because the f film is the equivalent of la, pa la parole as it was uh, as it existed in western civilization from the greeks and the hebrews up until uh, the end of the 17th century <laughs> <laughs> okay maybe we should uh, Talk next about. Um, I'll just ask. Anyone got any questions? Let's... Yes, please. Uh, <clears throat> I've seen uh, some times ago a, a movie which recalls this uh, Le Monde Vivant by Eric Romer, Les Amours Désastres et Céladon, which was released probably in 2006. Has it been sort of fashion, a sort of trend, or I mean, it's there were many similarities in the terms of style, uh, this theatrical style, and also this uh, st uh, steadiness of the of the shots, this lyrical aspect. But what is the question? I don't know uh, if I because it was later uh, the film de Romer, and I was asking it. To you, this has been a sort of a trend, or something uh, new in ah. France, in terms, for example, in French cinema, but I don't know, also in Europe. No, I, I don't think it's a trend. Uh, it's uh, there are certain perhaps characteristics of French cinema, but uh, there are cinéastes, of course, who are very different. Often people say they see uh, relationships between my films in general and those of Romer. I like uh, Romer very much. I admire him very much, but I don't. I do, in any case, there's no influence, and I, I think it's rather different. I don't know, but in any case, I think that in every, since uh, it, it it comes a little, it's a little related to to the long answer that I gave just before, because I think that every um, since cinema is the equivalent of uh, of the word, I think that uh, behind every uh, filmmaker there's a language. And a language, as I said, is a particular vision of the world. No language gives the same vision of the world. And like if you speak several languages, you know that you're not the same person according to the language that you speak. And the world isn't the same world. You don't see the world in the same way according to the language that you speak. So I think that uh, there's something which I, I wrote once in uh, that, uh, like there's nothing really uh, apparently uh, there's no real connection between, say, uh, Renoir, uh, Truffaut, uh, Godard, Romer, and, and I don't know, Bruno Dumont. But there's something, there's a sort of um, thread somewhere which connects them. And I think the thread is that they're all Francophones, that the French language is somewhere present in their creation. And so uh, there is a certain... Um, there are certain characteristics of, of my films or of, of the films of Romer, which you can also sort of uh, relate to characteristics among other French uh, filmmakers. And I think it is it something which really exists. It's, it's really, it's not just an impression, but the basis of this uh, affinity is, is the fact that somewhere behind them is the French language. And it's like if you see, I have a, don't, a film coming out uh, tomorrow in London, a new film, and it's a film which I made in Portugal, and it's three quarters in Portuguese and one quarter in French. So it's, it's, it's mainly a Portuguese film, but it's this, this, I think that the French language somewhere is, is present, uh, even in the, in the scenes which are in Portuguese. <coughs> Anybody else? 
you mentioned Bruno Dumont and um, Bresson. There's a very kind of this this style of, of speaking very kind of plainly. Very yes, of course. That I, I was, of course, uh, influenced by Bresson uh, when I was. I assimilated that uh, when I, since I had a lot of time to assimilate things, I was very impressed by Bresson, whom I discovered when I was 19 years old, and uh, I saw all of his films many times. I didn't. I hadn't seen any of his films for. 17, 16 years when I shot To Clean Me for the first time, but of course it's, it's, it's present. But there's something about looking for a certain truth. I think that that's what the Dumont and you and, and Bresson seem yeah. to be. There's a sort of real need to pare things down to find a kind of truth. Oh. Yeah, and it's, it's a spiritual truth. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yes. Um, how does the spiritual aspect um, of your work relate to the subject matter in, in this film that we've just seen, which se seems to be about fairy tales, and how do, how do those two things connect for you? Well, w what, I <coughs> what I tried to say at the beginning is that I think in mythical terms, or fairy tales, they, 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 they please children, but that doesn't mean that they have no, no meaning. Fairy tales, on the contrary, are very full of meaning. Uh, all mythical uh, tales, all mythical uh, creations have a very profound meaning. And so this is, um, this is something which is... Um, by, by the, the, the formally and by the elements that compose it, it can be related to a fairy tale, but uh, it, it turns around the, the meaning of la parole, of, of, of the word, and uh, uh, it's, the word is in the film, it's both, uh, it's the, the word given, that is the promise, the, the faith, when you give your word, you have to keep your word, uh, but it's also the, the word in the, the most spiritual sense because, uh, the, um, for example, uh, by, the, by her word, Penelope uh, re re resurrects the, the, the lionite. So it's, um, it's, it's through a mythical, um, a mythical story that I express things which are, for me, very uh, profound and very important. Anybody else? Yes. Um, another question about the production of this movie, in terms of Just, the uh, can you use the word film because my film. Sorry, sorry, movies. <laughs> sorry, film. <coughs> if you prefer, I speak French. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, for this film, the production, how long did it take, uh, for example, to look for a producer? Because anyway, this gives idea of what can be in the, what is independent cinema. And uh, also it can be distributed, and as you say, we're saying you had also struggles. If you can just sum up a bit of this production, what you, the steps that you... Well, it, it's f it, to produce uh, this sort of cinema, art cinema, well, it's very difficult. Uh, it's very difficult everywhere. In France, up until not too long ago, it was a little less difficult than elsewhere. But it's becoming more and more difficult. And uh, what the problem was that um, we couldn't get, like uh, Le Pont des Arts, the, 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 set, the film which follows this one, the script was ready and we had presented it twice to the, um, the commission at the CNC and they refused it. And uh, so this film, I 
presented it uh, as a, sh a long short, but it's the same commission for shorts and long shorts. Uh, I presented it as a law, so it's another commission, and they gave me the subsidy, but it, it's a very small subsidy. Uh, it's it's enough to make a film uh, if the crew is almost not paid and if you shoot very quickly. And uh, but uh, we had we, the, the subsidy from the CNC was not enough to shoot the film, so. I got also a co-production in nature from Le Frenois, which is um, an artistic, uh, it's a sort of residency actually for artists, a two-year residency in contemporary art, but most of the, the students are interested in cinema, in fact. And since I had made a short for the Frenois as in a pedagogical project with, with students who were part of the crew, uh, the, they gave me, they lent me the camera and uh, some of the material and um, the, actually, my producer was very courageous then because with, with that, uh, with the subsidy and the, the, uh, the, the material from the Frenois and paying the crew almost nothing, but the crew accepted, it was the same crew from Toutes les Nuits, my first film, uh, and the actors also were almost paid nothing. Uh, we, uh, we had enough to shoot the film uh, but we had to sh we shot it in less than three weeks. We we shot it in I think uh, fifteen days, something like that. Uh, and but there was not enough money to 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 finish it. And then we had uh, luckily uh, we f my producer found some way from a a very bad Belgian television. I don't know what it's called. I I don't know why. But they had they had a little money. Some they they had give, they had to get rid of it before the the end of the year. And so the Dardenne brothers accepted to co-produce it, and so they were able to get the money from this very bad Belgian television, and uh, we did the, um, some of the post-production in Belgium for the sound, for example, and um, so the film was finished, and it was uh, the, the you need miracles to be able to make art films, but uh, the, the 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 next miracle was that the film was accepted at the um, uh, the director's fortnight in Cannes, and so since it was accept we when it, it was accepted and we were uh, we were um, normally a script can be proposed uh, proposed twice to the CNC, but with a uh, derogation. Um, um, it's typically French <laughs> derogation. You can, on, on special occasions, or, or yeah, well, with a special permission, you can uh, uh, propose it a third time, and so we proposed it a third time, and it went into commission just at the moment when um, when the this film was accepted in the director's fortnight, and that's what you need. You, you, to get to get money, you have to be in a prestigious festival. So, uh, we, the, I even learned that one of the members of the commission who had voted against it, when he learned that Le Monde Vivant was in director's fauna, he changed his mind. And it was just because of that. So, thanks to this film, I was able to make the next one. But it's always... Uh, and what happened if, well, you, since you're going to be facing that because you're film students, uh, what happened afterwards, Le Pont des Arts was a film which had a certain success, uh, critical and uh, audience success for, for this sort of film. But then 
I didn't manage to make a film right away. And if you don't make a film right away, you're forgotten very quickly. And so afterwards, I, I proposed two other projects three times, and they were rejected three times. And normally my career would have been over in France. I had a lot of uh, invitations for retrospectives, like for, for dead, uh, dead directors, but not, uh, <laughs> not the possibility to make new films. But then fortunately, since my films are very well liked in Portugal and I, I know a very good producer there, uh, he was able to get a subsidy for a Portuguese project, The Portuguese Nun, which is coming out tomorrow here. And because uh, the Portuguese Nun was made in Portugal. It was shown in Locarno Festival. And we presented a project which had already been rejected by the CNC. And we, it went into the commission just uh, the week that the Portuguese Nun came out in Paris with very good reviews. And we got the subsidy for the next project. So it's, it's something to, you have to consider. You always have to be present. You always have to be somewhere where there's a lot of noise uh, around your name. And it's, it's most unfortunate, especially if you make art cinema, but that's, that's how it is. <laughs> yes? Hello. Do you ever consider making commercial films to raise money to make your art films? Uh, no, because I, I don't know how to make commercial films. They, well, you, they, I, I don't know how. Well, you, just I, you just do what the producer tells you to do. <laughs> 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 you ever think of that? I mean... Are you American? Uh, yeah, I was raised. I was raised in America. <laughs> but that doesn't mean anything, though. It doesn't mean anything. No, it's not that. I, um, no, I, I could never have made films in, I call it Barbaria. I, 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 I would never have been able to make films in Barbaria. I, I just, I can't, I don't know how to do that. But uh, if you, if you, Too much if you want to, to uh, if you, if you want to uh, give me lessons. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, at the end of the day, like you said, it does come down to money. It does come down to money, right? Yes, but... Well, <laughs> I think we're, we're not talking the same language. Now you must have some kind of reputations and it would be easier or every single project is treated as a, as a sort of yeah, it's n n nothing is ever rien n'est jamais acquis. Nothing is ever acquired. Nothing is ever. It's always every project is like a first project. Even someone like Bruno Dumont, who has got, had, twice he has had the second prize in Cannes, the Prix du Jury or the Grand Prix, perhaps two two times the Prix du Jury. Uh, his last film, Had which I don't know if you've seen it. For me, it's his best film. Are you? Oh, that's very that's very good. Well, that's for me. It's his best film. It was refused in Cannes. It was refused in Venice. And he's. I think he's making. He's shooting now. He's going to shoot. Uh, he he managed to get money for a new film, but very very difficult with a, a great deal of difficulty. And this there's no um, another filmmaker. I don't know if you've seen his. He's made less films. Serge Bozon. Uh, his, 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 he only made two features, but the, the, the second one was really very good. It's called La France. Um, but uh, he also, he, he, can't, he, he can't manage to make another feature. He's very, he's very, uh, he's much more trendy than I am. He's very, he just had a sort of a, a show, a sort of, I don't know how to describe it, at the Pompidou Center, which is the equivalent of the Tate Modern or the, uh, so for that, that sort of thing works, but to get funding, enough funding for a film, he can't. 
And France is the country in Europe where there's the most money for, for cinema. If, if it were distributed in another way, there would be enough money for all these uh, directors of art films. But uh, more and more, it's becoming... Uh, and France is becoming uh, Thatcherized, and uh, so uh, they give the, the state money more and more to commercial films, which would never have got even asked for the state money before. Or as to to what I call virtuous films, that is uh, a little bit like barbarian uh, audiovisual products that uh, that with a good moral, uh, with it, that tell you where the where what the difference between good and evil is, uh, with the violins to tell you when it's good and 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 very uh, and very uh, modern music to tell you when it's evil, and uh, that sort of film in France you can also get easily funding for. But for, for things that are really particular and personal, it's becoming more and more difficult. Yes? Um, I found this film very funny, and, but I think that it's also a very serious film. And I was wondering if you could talk about this balance, well, not a balance, but a contradiction that you seem to have in your work between humour and the sort of serious spiritual aspect of it. Well, of course, uh, but why is it a contradiction? That's, uh, it's, you're not the first person to, to Well, to by sort of genre standards, again, I don't know. Uh, excuse me? By kind of the, the kind of standards of, of genre. Yeah, that's, well, it's a problem. Even in France, it's even more of a problem because uh, things are supposed to be... Uh, one of the, the golden rules is that uh, there the, the, the must be no uh, mélange des de genres, not a mixed genre. And... Um, for me, it comes naturally that way. It's it's like um, like in Shakespeare or, or a lot of uh, a lot of things. Uh, it the, the of course the, the the basis of all all my work is very serious and very perhaps even tragic. But uh, the humor, it seems to me, it comes naturally and it seems to be necessary. And uh, it's like. Several times in France, people have asked me in Q&As after a film, uh, they told me they laughed at certain moments in the film, and they say, uh, did I have the right to laugh? <laughs> and yes, you, you have the right to laugh. You, in any case, you always have the right to laugh. But uh, in any case, it, it's, it's, want, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's intended, the, the humor is intended. And for me, it's, it's a way of... Um, I, I think that, that life is naturally that, that way. And also because what is pr like tragedy, real tragedy, like in the theater tragedy, uh, uh, it's something um, which is joyous. If you, if you, you see a real, uh, really uh, successful performance of a tragedy, you feel afterwards, you feel cleansed, you feel, uh, you feel better. And so, uh, for me, uh, introducing humor, it's a more direct way of, um, uh, of helping the, uh, the spectator with the, the joyous aspect of what is serious and even tragical. <laughs> yes? Um, it makes me think a lot about um, Paul Claudel's uh, play. I was wondering if it's an insp inspiration so, so. Well, n not directly, but for me, Claudel is, is perhaps the greatest French writer of the 20th century. Uh, now it's, it's almost fashionable to say that when I was young in the 1970s. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
<laughs> one of the slogans in 1968 was jamais plus Claudel. But for me, yes, Claudel is, is this something... Uh, Uh, they even said it more about my first film, Toutes les Nuits. I never have a conscious thinking about Claudette, but I think it's the, the, what it is, is is that the, the, um, it's a sort of affinity because also in his plays he, he, sh he sought to express sp uh, spiritual truths. But he was very someone who was very, he was a, a, a paysan, so, someone from the, the earth, uh, like a farmer. Uh, he, had a very, he was very down to earth in a certain way. And he always expressed spirituality through very concrete images, through concrete things, uh, through sexual desire, etc. And so uh, that's perhaps something which is, is common, but is not a, a, conscious, uh, a conscious connection. Yes. Could you talk about your work with uh, actors and the construction of characters? And I also was wondering if is there any correlation in your work, um, like informal or technical aspects, uh, from the theater to the cinema? Uh, I'll I'll start by the by the end because there were actually three questions. Um, for me, uh, there's no uh, there's no direct connection except a certain a certain relationship to actors. I always, in the theater, when I did theater, uh, the great pleasure of doing theater was working together with actors. And I always had very, uh, in that, that was one of the reasons why I didn't succeed in the theater. Uh, I always had very good uh, relation to actors, whereas in modern theater, especially French theater, it's always based on hysterical conflicts between <laughs> the director and the actors. So. Um, That's something which I carried over into cinema. But otherwise, for me, cinema and theater, they may express, they do when they're successful, they su express, they can express the same truths and the same concerns, but uh, they, um, the paths that they follow are completely opposite because uh, in theater, in real theater, what I consider real theater, uh, everything is force. Theater is based on the the idea which is assumed by the actors and by the audience that uh, you're in a theater, in a theatrical representation, and that uh, everything is, is false. The actors are just, they can just be on a little stage like that, and that, that stage can become the entire world. Uh, and so uh, in, in theater, in theatrical theater, which for me is real theater, everything there is based on codes, on conventions, Uh, and it's through falsity that you attain truth in theater. Whereas in cinema, the basic material, as I said before, the raw material of cinema is material reality. The, the actors, they are actors, but before in cinema, more than actors, they're real persons. For, for me, that's how I consider them, they're persons. Whereas in, in theater, they're persons that I know and that I work with while we're rehearsing. But when they get on the stage, they're not persons anymore. They use their personal energy, but they're actors. And so that's, that's a very fundamental difference. Uh, concerning what you call constructing the characters, uh, There's no construction of characters in the modern sense. The, 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 uh, the, the most horrible thing for me, uh, the most horrible thing to imagine is the actor's studio. Uh, so uh, 
or what I try, because what I try to express is not psychology, because psychology is always false in in uh, in representations. Uh, a psychological uh, technique of an actor is something which is always false because it's intellectual. The actor is trying always to show something. He's thinking about what he has to do in order to show what his character is supposed to be feeling or doing. And what I want is the, the, the spiritual reality of the person. So, um, of course, there are characters, but the characters are created uh, on the one hand by me when I think of them, that is, when I imagine them, by their situation, what, by the action of the film, and the other, on the other hand, by the interior energy of the actor, of the person, the actor as a person. So the technical, I, often people ask how I work with actors, and it's, all, it's very simple, actually. We just do a few readings of the script, and the only thing I only intervene. We never analyze the characters or the psychology. Nothing. If they don't understand something in the script, of course I, I explain the situation or or some reference or something. But otherwise, we never analyze their characters. And the only intervention I make while we when we do the reading of the script is I if ever they take they take on psychological intonations because there are certain coded intonations which actually come from psychological theater and which you often also find in cinema, and which are completely false. They don't correspond to the normal way of speaking. But we're, we've become so used to them, because we hear them all the time in the theater or even in the cinema, that uh, we, we take them, for, we, take the, we accept them as being real, but they're not real. So uh, if they ever take on psychological intonations, I always ask them to stop, to, to do a natural intonation. And I ask them to speak as if they were speaking to themselves. That's what explains the sort of um, uh, reserved way in which they speak. Because as soon as you start speaking to someone else, you start doing rhetoric. That doesn't mean necessarily that you're not sincere, that you don't believe what you're saying, but you're trying to convince the person of something. And so you're thinking intellectually about how your, you, what you have to do or say or how you have to uh, formulate your words, what intonation you have to take, what gestures you have to make in order to convince the person. And all that makes your intellect work. And if the intellect works, that cuts off the flow of interior energy. So I don't want them to, to do any sort of uh, rhetoric, any sort of uh, exteriorization which passes by the intellect. So I tell them to speak as if they were speaking to themselves, because when you speak to yourself, the words you speak, you, you think in words, but the words touch you, but you're not trying to convince anyone of, any, of anything. And so um, that's, the, that's the way. And then when, we, when we're on the, on the set, uh, we just rehearse uh, once or twice until I think that they're, they're ready, sometimes more than twice, but very rarely. And then we start shooting. And I stop uh, when we have two good takes, when I consider that we have two good takes. Uh, the, the average is about four takes, but there are some uh, shots where there are only two takes because the, the first two takes are perfect and there's no reason to go further. Uh, sometimes when an actor has a problem, we can go up to 15 takes, but it's very, very rare. So that's the way that I work with, with actors. I was going to ask, um, 
Does the intellect not produce energy? Uh, the intellect, uh, it doesn't produce spiritual, it uses energy. Mm. It, uh, it, it, um, I use the intellect a lot, but but not uh, n not when I'm. It, it it's not um, in in the it's in the preparation in the conception of the. Mm. But uh, if you film someone who's trying who's who's mm. thinking, uh, you're only going to get the intellectual energy. Maybe it's a sort of energy, but it's not interior energy. Mm. It's something which is exterior, which is. Um, it's yeah. It's, it's an interesting question. It's a sort of energy, of course. The intellect uses energy, but it's it's an, an energy which is, I think, which can be quantified, which mm. is something more material. Uh, right? It, it be, can be quantified as uh, a scientist can quantify the, the the uh, the elements of a material thing, mm. whereas spiritual energy can't be quantified. It's a mystery. Mm. Any more questions? So for you, the, the, the spiritual energy within people and the spiritual energy within um, light in film or from a candle, is, is that the same thing? Uh, they're both of them uh, spiritual energies. Light is an energy which has its own, light has its own energy, which is spiritual energy, but it's, it's also what enables us to receive the energy of what we see. So... The, a cinematic shot, a cinematographical shot, is a combination of those two energies. It's the light and what the light releases from what. And the spiritual energy, of course, in a human being, but also in, uh, in an animal or in an inanimate thing also. That's why I like to uh, film stones and uh, uh, trees and, and, and things like that. Because uh, there's there's energy in everything, in any case, in anything which has uh, natural substances. I don't know if there's very much energy in plastic. I, I've never filmed plastic surfaces, but uh, <laughs> but uh, in uh, for example in uh, in Le Monde Vivant there are there are even um, close-up shots on uh, on uh, pavements or on uh, wooden doors uh, because those things also have an energy and. Uh, one of the things also that I like to do, which surprises people sometimes if they don't know my work, is that if there's a... Um, because for me, the most important thing in a cinematographical shot is presence, what I call real presence. And the real the presence can come from a being, but it also can come from the, the place that contains the being. And especially, uh, for example, when there's a shot with a... A person or a part of a person and then the person leaves the frame in the editing I keep the empty frame because it's very important for this for me it's very important that the spectator feel the the presence of the being who is no longer visible but whose presence is still there because there's been an osmosis between the energy of the being and the energy of the of the place and the material of the place and that's something which is very important. And candlelight has an energy which can't be reproduced by uh, electrical light. When I used to do theater, I only used candlelight. It was, that was one of the problems because the, 
<laughs> the, the directors of the theatre has always started by saying that it's not possible, it's forbidden by law, but it's not forbidden by law. And so I, I <laughs> but in any case, in the films, all the, all the shots, uh, the, the scenes which are candlelit, uh, a single candle can, uh, can be enough to shoot if the candle is near the surface of what you're shooting. For example, in Toutes les Nuits, there's one scene where there's a character who goes to the door holding a candle and there's another character who comes in and the two characters are lit only by the candles that she's holding. But that's a, a particular situation. But if it's a larger uh, shot, then uh, it, you need more light but if I put electrical light in, it would destroy the energy of the candlelight. So in the candlelit scenes, there's extra lighting outside of the frame, but it's only candlelight. We, um, one of my, um, of the people whom I work with, the uh, designer, the de what do you say, decorator, uh, uh, set designer, uh, he he designed what we call uh, baroque projectors. That is, they're projectors, but they only use candles. Um, uh, it's it's like a theater ramp, uh, like the boxes we use for the theater ramp with a with a, um, a mirror. But the candles, uh, the candles, and we we put it on a on a foot on a pied uh, tripod, tripod. Tri tripod. Uh, and we put we can put a lot of them like uh, around the the the, uh, the exterior of the uh, frame. Uh, the most difficult uh, scenes, candlelit scenes, are in the, the film which is coming out, the, the Portuguese Nun, because the very important scenes which take place in a chapel, and I wanted the chapel to be lit only by candlelight. So there, there are uh, candles, like candles that people light in a church, which you see in the image, but since that wasn't enough for the, the large, uh, the wide shots, so we have... Um, beams suspended from the, the ceiling of the chapel and there are hundreds of candles on the beams. <laughs> so presumably you're shooting only on 35mm? Yes, well, the, le, le, uh, Toutes les Nuits and Le Monde Vivant we shot in 16mm, uh, super, uh, super 16, because they, they, they thought it was cheaper. Actually, it's not cheaper because afterwards, the, 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 the film costs less, but afterwards for the post-production. From uh, my um, long short Les Seigneurs on, it's only in 35mm. And that's something that's yes, very important. I could never shoot in digital. I shot one uh, long shot in digital because it was a commission from the Jungju uh, Film Festival in Korea, and it was it was part of the commission. It had to be in digital. But so I, I wrote a script in function of the of the support, which is very limiting. It was an interesting experience because in digital you could get something, you can capture some energy in close-ups in interiors because you can control the intensity of the light uh, completely. So uh, that, that film is a sort of uh, experiment, but otherwise I couldn't, I cannot shoot in digital. And there's a sort of pressure of the barbarians, uh, a world pressure to try to convert all cinema into digital and to forbid the use of, to make the use of film impossible. And if, if they succeed, then I'll stop shooting. But I, I'm not, I, I, I'm, I shan't be the only one in that case because uh, I know a lot of uh, directors who, who refuse absolutely to shoot in digital. I don't know if you have uh, you the possibility one here. One of the main things of the school is we do 35 mm Ah, that's marvelous. That's, really? yeah, that's yeah, you really have to fight to keep that yeah. because that's so important. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs>
Anybody Thank else? Thank you so much for coming. Well, it was, it was a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you.